Hello, this is Tim Convoy, the pastor of New Life Community Church located in Nashville, Indiana. I'd like to thank you for visiting our podcast, and I trust that God will just bless you and encourage you and speak to your heart as you listen to this message. Thank you again for joining us, and God bless you. Good morning. How many saints do we have with us today? Any? Well, baby. Holy ones in Christ. Not because we behave, but because we believe. Amen. It's all about Jesus. Good to have you with us this morning. I'm Pastor Tim. In case you don't know, in case you don't care, I'm still Pastor Tim. It's all right. Hey, Travis, what's up, brother? Good to have Al Skinner with us today, too, as well. Up, up from the, yeah. I miss you guys so bad. Pray for you. Quick, can I throw a quick in? Sure. Two kids came to camp from a from a church that goes and picks them up out of the the meth neighborhoods and stuff. Ah. We went to a Boy Scout camp just north of Nashville, Tennessee. Ricky Skaggs Church provided the praise team, and thirty of them volunteered to be baptized. Oh, amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. Yeah, amen, amen. Amen. Good to have Skinner's with us. And, you know, now, what I like, he's always a silent type, you know? He's like very unintrusive. And, and yeah, I wasn't here long this morning. I said, sounds like Al's here. Like, oh, yeah, there he is. <laughs> amen. Okay, John chapter 20. John 20. Wow, then it's silence. John 20. Now, last week we read verses 1 down through 18 to kind of get a perspective on Mary, since the first part of the text is dealing with Mary, and then the second part will deal come back to Mary. Uh, but today, rather than go from 1 to 18, we're going to go from 1 to verse 9, and uh, we'll cover that text, and then we'll continue, all right? So John's Gospel, chapter 20, starting at verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, which was, which day? Sunday, that's right. First day of the Jewish week was always Sunday. We think of the first day of the week being Monday, but Sunday's first day of the week, and obviously it ends on Saturday. So we worship on the first day of the week because the Lord rose from the dead on the first day of the week. Amen? We don't worship on, we don't worship on the Sabbath day, by the way. The Sabbath day was Saturday, all right? That's when the Jews worshiped. Uh, but then we worship on the next day. It's interesting. Eight is a number of new beginning. The seventh day is Saturday, or the Sabbath day for the Jews, the seventh day is that. The next day, which is the first day of the week, could be considered, if you will, the eighth day, the day of new beginning. And so Christ rose from the dead on the first day of the week, and we worship. And as they did through the Scripture on the first day of the week. Okay. That being said, while it was still dark, Mary's up early, she's on the move, still dark out, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter. Remember, we learned that word running. It's the idea of a frantic run. So she's, she's frantic. She runs to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. Meaning who? John, that's right. So John always identified himself that way. And she said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we 
don't know where they have put him. By the way, isn't it interesting? She was the only one that saw it, but she says, we don't know. Because she goes, you guys don't know either, in other words. I don't know, and you don't know. We don't know, you know? So it's interesting. We, collectively, do not know where they put him. So Peter and the other disciples start from, started for the tomb. Both were running. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Remember, the linen lying there is the idea, of like if you were to wrap a cocoon. and So it wasn't just lying in a pile. It was lying as something that had been wrapped and then is absent. I was, I was thinking kind of like if you were to wrap a balloon and then pop the balloon and then it went down flat, it would be laying in that form. Clear as mud? That's the idea here. So they look in, they see the linens lying there. And then it says, where was it? But did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the burial cloth that was around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. In other words, this was not done in haste. It took time uh, to fold that linen, and it wasn't. Un- they didn't unwrap Jesus and leave a pile as if it was in haste. He was gone. The linen is laying flat. The face cloth or napkin was folded separately. Finally... The other disciple, uh, who had reached the tomb first, remember Mr. Humble John saying, (laughs) don't forget, I was here first. Third time he says it. Uh, He also, he says, reached tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They did not understand from Scripture, they still did not understand from Scripture, that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Father, What an amazing text to read. That it's not just about the empty tomb. It's not simply that your your son rose from the dead. That is huge. That's magnificent. That is life-changing. But you took time, Lord, to show how three individuals responded to what they saw. You took time to let us see how humans that were believers Uh, looked upon the empty tomb. And Lord, I believe that you laid out their life before us and their response and their reaction and their vision. You laid it out so that we might learn from them, but that we might see in them our own selves. We look into the Word like a mirror. It reflects back to us. And we see ourselves in these uh, characters, these people, these historical figures. And so, Lord, right now, help us to learn this morning how your word applies to our heart. And by your spirit, just work in us and and customize your message for our heart and our lives. It's amazing, Lord. I, I can deliver one message, but you can take it and dissect it and customize it to meet 300, 400, 4,000 people. You could take it and make it meet all the needs of all the folks through your Holy Spirit. 
So Lord, do your work this day. We lean on you. We love you. We bless you. And Holy Spirit, move freely in our midst. Preach through me, Lord, and preach to me, I ask. And hide me behind the cross. May we all see Jesus this morning. And collectively we say, Amen. 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 I started the message last week, seeing is not believing. Believing is believing. It's not very deep, right? It's seeing's not believing, as our world might say, but believing is believing. That's what believing is when you believe. By the way, faith, if you want to boil it down, if you want to distill it down to its lowest denominator, if you will, faith is taking God at His Word, right? God says this is how it is, and faith says I take God at His Word. I believe Him, right? If you don't take God at His Word, it means you don't believe Him. Amen? And by the way, this is the Word of God. Amen? And we take God at His Word. So when we come to our text this morning, we are are picking up on where we left off last week at seeing is not believing. Believing is believing. Now, I had a slide, and we'll pull that slide up here. And last week, first service, you couldn't see it. I had to fix it. For the second service, we had a gray background. You couldn't see it very well. Uh, but I noticed as we went through the different Greek words for the same English word. And man, it brings so much more depth to it, uh, so much more of a dimension to it. When we saw in verse 1, the word saw is the word blipo. means to see with discernment a quick glance or assessment. Remember verse 1, that's what Mary had. She ran through the night, she gets to the tomb, and it says she bleepoed. The stone was turned. She saw it with a glance and made a quick assessment. Was her assessment correct? No. Her assessment, her assumption was what? They took him. And the conclusion was, we don't know where he's at. (laughs) We can't do anything about it. So she got to the tomb and she saw uh, this bleep. She saw something that she thought was reality, but it wasn't actuality. Remember that? Remember how we did things that looked like it's real, but it's not real? It's funny, after the service, by the way, I had people rolling up their bulletins and putting their hand up to it and going up next to walls and seeing if it works for that. I mean... And I saw people after said, man, I should have brought my bulletin. Should have had one with me. You know, But something that looked real, but it wasn't real. It was an actuality. That was the word blipo. We then come to the word saw, theorio, and it means to view as a spectator. To view as a spectator. In other words, you're not part of the game that you're watching. Let's say you're watching a football game, baseball, whatever it might be. You're not physically participating, but you're still emotionally engaged. Are you with me on this? You're still engaged. As a matter of fact, uh, yesterday we were over at Cincinnati on a Friday night, and they had a, a Reds game. We were walking past the stadium, and you know, we could always tell when something happened on the field that was good, and they're all cheering. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, you know. They weren't playing the game, but they were engaged in the game. They were at the almost a 40,000 foot view. I mean, they were way up there. Like, I can even see the ball from up there. So they were there, but they're seen as a spectator. We saw that in verse, now I have verse six up here, but also verse five. It's the same word looked when John bent over and looked. He saw as a spectator, but he didn't participate in it. 
He was only emotionally attached, if you will. Uh, we also saw it again in verse 6 when Peter went in the tomb and he saw the linens lying there. We also saw it again uh, in verse 14, or 12 rather, when Mary looked in and saw the angels, the Rio, the angels. And then we saw it again in verse 14 where Mary will turn and she looked as a spectator and saw Jesus, but only saw him as a spectator, was not emotionally, spiritually engaged, if you will. And then we come to this word, Edo. Edo is to see with perception and comprehension. It means to, now, not only do I just see it and make a quick assumption, it could be wrong, not only am I looking as a spectator, I'm not just, you know, at the 40,000 foot view saying what's going on, but now I see it and I'm embracing it and I comprehend it and it becomes part of me. That's the word we see in verse 8, uh, when we'll see today, that when John went in the empty tomb and he edoed, he saw it and it clicked. He comprehended it and he got a hold of it. He, he made it his own. He embraced it. Edo or horeo. It's the same Greek word, the same idea behind both words depending which translation. So, and then again, we see that word in verse 14, when it's translated, realized, she, Theorio, saw the Lord as a spectator, but did not realize, Edo, comprehend that it was Jesus. Until you get to verse 18, and we'll see that next week, uh, again, where she see, she goes to the disciples and said, I have seen, I have Edo, the Lord. I have grasped him and embraced it and I and I made it part of my own. Now I go over these words just as a reminder for us and uh just you know in in your mind realize that sometimes there's much more to it, not sometimes many times, there's much more to the word than what we're reading at face value, right? You look and say, wow man, we lose the richness uh in the language and the translation. Well last week we began by considering the vision, our sight, and how our imperfect vision often has a negative effect and creates imperfect faith. If you're trying to walk by faith and you're using it, your sight to get there, it will always be an imperfect faith. Mary, as we saw last week, we, she had what we called a frantic faith. She had a frantic faith. She she saw something. She jumped to an assumption, jumped to the wrong conclusion, and she took off running. And, and her faith was a frantic faith because fear latched onto it like, like a, a, a railroad train and a caboose of fear hooks on. And, and, and we respond emotionally by our fear. It doesn't mean that she did not have faith. Remember, she, she said to the angels, they have taken my Lord, my personal, this is my Savior, my personal Savior. She had saving faith. It's my Lord. She had living faith, right? She had living faith because she, by faith, went early in the morning to go and prepare the body of Jesus. Even though there were going to be dangers there and obstacles. I mean, there are going to be Roman soldiers. There's going to be a stone. She's like, how am I going to get the stone rolled? I don't know, but I'm going to trust the Lord. I'm going to be able to do this. How am I going to get past the guards? I don't know, but I'm going to trust the Lord to get past them. She had a living faith. So she was moving by faith, but that fear hooked on and created a frantic faith. But it was faith nonetheless. And remember, fear is always trying to turn us. 
And not turn us back to the old life, but turn us away from the power of faith. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. Those that come to God must believe that He is. Is what? Yeah, he, but he is God and the rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. But the belief, I mean, isn't it funny you would have to say, if you're going to come to God, you've got to believe that He's God. But wait a minute. If I'm coming to God, don't I believe He's God? Well, the implication is sometimes we can come to God and we forget by definition He is God and by definition He can do anything. Amen? We forget, we forget who God is. He just, you know, like we're coming to God. But wait a minute. We are coming to the one who can speak the one sentence and create the universe. Right? That's who, who are you coming to? Faith doesn't want us to come to God. Or excuse me, fear doesn't want us because even frantic faith when it comes to God is more powerful than the devil's fear. Every time. And by the way, when you read the text, the frantic faith, friends, keep all our F's together, the frantic faith, friends, does not last forever. It'll last a very short time if you ride it out, if you stick to it, if you get through it. All right? Mary started with frantic faith, and she's going to end with fortified faith, and we'll see that next week. But this week, I want to zoom in on the, the two runners, Peter and John. This is kind of interesting that Mary ran to Peter. Or she ran, it says she came running to Simon Peter. She didn't go running to John. She went running to Simon Peter. John happened to be there. John's probably a great encouragement. Probably these past few days when Simon Peter's been dragging his chin. as a spiritual failure in his mind. Uh, John was there probably just encouraging him. Hey, hang in there, man. It's, it's all right. You're going to make it. And But yet, isn't it interesting that the first one to hear about the empty tomb, not just see it like Mary, the first one to hear about it was Peter. So here, even Mary recognizes Peter and his leadership amongst the disciples and goes to Simon Peter, and John is there as well. Let's think of Peter's faith. When I consider Peter's faith, I call it the faltering faith. The time when we're not in a frantic faith, but we're, we may be recovering from a faltering faith, failing faith, falling faith. She came to Simon Peter. She told him what happened. And verse 3 said, And Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running but the other disciple outran Peter. Now, Peter is also older than John, so that may explain it. And the other disciple got to the tomb first, bent over and looked in. But then verse 8 or 6, Then Simon Peter, who came behind him, arrived and went in. It's, it's not like he arrived, hung out, and then decided to go in. It's the idea, arrived and went in. It's a, a fluid motion. He arrived and went into the tomb. Boom! There goes Peter right in. He sees the linen lying there as well as the cloth. Now the implication in verse 3 is that Peter was the first one to take off. Peter hears the message. He takes off running. John then overtakes Peter. You following? 
then gets to the tomb first, and then Peter overtakes John and gets to the finish line first, if you will. But the idea is that Peter led the way. But both of them were running. Both were running. Why were they running? Because they believed what Mary had told them. They believed that Mary, what Mary believed with all her heart, even though what she believed was incorrect. What she believed was not accurate. What she conveyed was misinformation. It was not intentional. It was not malicious. But it's how she saw it. She said, this is how I see it. And she goes and tells both the disciples, and they have a frantic faith. It's interesting how they jump into it with her, and then they go running to see for themselves, because as we often think, seeing is believing. Now, we know that Mary's account was not accurate. We know nobody stole the body of Jesus. We know that it wasn't a matter of them having to find Jesus and carry his body back. Remember that Mary will say that, where have you put him, and I'll go get him. It's not that we know that everything that they were believing was not accurate. It was actually downright wrong. It was a misbelief, but here's the thing is, we know it because we have it written and we can look back and read it, amen? And we, like Paul Harvey, can know the rest of the story. They didn't know it. They were responding on something that they were told. And based on what they were told, they took off running uh, to see this empty tomb. And by the way, you know, I just pause there for a moment. It is amazing how zealous we can become and even dogmatic how we can be based on what somebody else has told us that may not be accurate. We have good people in good circles, believers that know and love the Lord, and yet sometimes our take on what we see in Scripture may not be actually what God intends in Scripture. But because someone told us that's how it is, then that's how we respond. Are you with me in this? Well, I was always told this. I was uh, talking to someone this week, and they were saying, well, I was always told that, that when we get to heaven, we won't know each other. Is that true? You may not want to know me, but you're stuck knowing me. The Bible says that when we get to heaven, we shall be known as we are known. All right? Now, there's no, there's no marriage in heaven, the Scripture says. There's no giving in marriage. People are going to get engaged and get married in heaven. There's different relationships there, but we are going to know as or be known as we are known. Okay? So you can say, oh, here comes Tim. Let's get out of here. He won't shut up. He'll talk to us. Rest of eternity, we'll be hearing about his stories. Right? Here's some misinformation. If someone takes their life, even though they put their faith in Jesus Christ, if they take their life, they don't go to heaven, they go to hell. Is that true? That's not true. That's right. That is misinformation. You don't know how many people I have dealt with over the years in ministry that have that belief system because somebody else told them this is how it is. Let me tell you something. It doesn't matter what anyone else tells you, including me. If the Word of God tells you something different, you stand on the Word of God. Right? 
That's why even here they will say they still did not know scripturally that Christ must rise from the dead. They still had to get that foundation laid out. But right now, I mean, they are zealous. They are moving. They are dogmatic. If you were to stop Peter and John on the run and say, wait a minute, boys, what are you doing? What do you think they would say? Somebody took the body of Jesus and we don't know where he is. And we're going to check it out. You think they'd say that? You think they'd believe that? Because they heard it from someone who absolutely believed what she said. And so therefore, because she so strongly believed it, they so strongly believed it. Capiche? Capiche. That's a little Italian lingo. Now, even though they are running, even though they're moving on false information, as they run, they are expecting the possibility of having to have a confrontation with the chief priests or with the Romans, which would also mean the confrontation will also bring identification that they were indeed disciples of Jesus Christ. And that identification could bring potential danger because of his, their association. So here they are running headlong uh, to the tomb where soldiers had been on guard, and in so doing, would be identifying themselves as disciples, followers of the one that just got crucified by Rome, Jesus. So why do I think of Peter from a faltering faith position? The answer is because last time we saw Peter, he was having a spiritual meltdown. Anyone ever have a spiritual meltdown? Okay, three of us, good. He's having a spiritual meltdown. <laughs> Jesus said, Peter, Satan desires to sift you like wheat. He wants to get a hold of you. He wants to, like, pull an office, uh, wheat off of a stalk and grab you and rub you around and blow away the chaff. And by the way, isn't it interesting? It's the chaff in our life, even like Peter's life. What was the, the husk on Peter? His husk was pride. The chaff was his pride. I can do this. I'll stand with you. I'll go to prison with you. I'll die with you. Is he going to do that? No. But yet when Satan got a hold of him, in the midst of his pride, God still used it to blow off that husk. <laughs> blow off that pride. Says, wait a minute, Peter. Wait a minute, Peter. Though he desires to do this, he says, I've prayed for you. And we're going to see that in a moment. But he says, you're going to have an attack, Peter, on your faith. And what's going to really hurt is going to be your very own words. Because you're going to remember not only what I said, but you're going to remember the Lord said I was going to say it. And you know, I said, no, I'm not going to say it. I'm going to say, Lord, I'll, I won't do this again. I'll never, fail. I'll never mess up this time. I'm going to stick with you no matter what. You, you ever... You ever some people in other churches in other states will say stuff like that. Not me, Lord. Oh, no. Though everyone else fail you, this guy won't fail you. Well, it's the last time I'll do that. I'm glad I don't have to do that anymore. Worry about that. I got that taken care of. Okay. 
When we saw Peter last, he was having a spiritual meltdown. He was not running to the Lord. He was running from the Lord. He was not being identified with the Lord. He's trying to hide from being identified with the Lord. He's going into hiding. He's not coming out in the open and saying, Hey, I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. And yet now, we see he leads the charge. Peter is the first one out the door when he hears the news. So much so that John had to catch up and then we'll then overpass him. But Peter, the one whose faith faltered so badly, the one whose faith stumbled, and that's what to falter means to be unsteady, to trip, to stumble, to fall, to lose one's balance. I often am reminded of one of my favorite verses, Psalm 37, 23, 24, the steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord, and he delights in his way. And then it says this, though he, what? Fall. He shall not utterly be destroyed or cast down. Why? Because the Lord holds him up with his hand. Remember that, that the idea of holding, carrying a child or holding his hand and a child uh, stumbles and falls and just before they do a face plant, you, you pull them back up. Right? Remember that? And it's the whole, remember? Like, whoa, whoa. This is the idea. Though he fall, yet the Lord upholds him with his hand. Jesus said to Peter, Peter, you're going to have a satanic attack on your faith. Satan desires to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you in what area? For physical strength? No. I have prayed for you that you lose not your what? Faith. And when you are restored, literally means when you're set upright, encourage the brethren. Encourage the other disciples. You, can you see that? I, I see it like Peter, uh, the Lord's holding Peter's hand. He says, Peter, we're going to go along and you're going to get attacked and the devil's going to trip you up and you're going down. He says, but before you make impact and are completely destroyed and cast down, I will lift you back up and I will set you upright. And then he says, and when you are set upright, encourage the brethren. He said this to Peter. The one who denied the Lord three times. The one whose uh, faith failed. The one uh, who wept bitterly. Peter, the one uh, with the faltering faith, is now the first one out the door. He goes, man, I blew it big time. And when he heard that from Mary, he's out of there. He, he took off running, and John's like, whoa, where's he going? And he took off running behind him. When they get to the tomb, not only was Peter the first to leave, though he was overtaken, he was the first to go right inside the tomb. Peter was on a mission. Why? Because though he fell hard, Jesus gave him back his faith footing once again. Jesus lifted him up. And now rather than running from the Lord, now he's running to the Lord. Now instead of going into hiding and being worried about identifying himself as a believer, now he said, I don't care who knows that I'm a believer. I don't care who's going to be meeting us at the tomb. I don't care what lies ahead. He goes, I am on the move. I don't care about anything else. All I care about is finding out about Jesus. 
He's the one that blew it. He's the one that messed up big time. He's the one that three times denied the Lord. And the Lord just turned at and looked at him in the eyes of love. And Peter melted. He says, man, how did I do that? I told the Lord I wouldn't do it. And here I went and did it. I said it publicly in front of everybody. What are they going to think about me? I, matter of fact, I rallied the troops. And all the disciples said with him, yes, we will not leave you. And yet all of them fled. You see, Peter just wanted to see Jesus. He just wanted to get to Jesus. His faith was set free, literally. Free from the weight and the burdens of his own failures. Let me tell you something, friends. All of us have imperfect faith. Amen? None of us have perfect faith yet. And when we see him, we will be like him, and we won't need our faith any longer. We all have imperfect faith, and sometimes it's frantic. And sometimes it's faltering. And sometimes it fails miserably. And sometimes when we just say, how in the world did I do, do that? How could I have acted like that? How could I have said that? How could I have had that attitude? How could I have not believed? Every single one of us, without exception, in this room, have had faltering faith at one time or another or multiple times. All right? Every single one of us. And yet, when Jesus removes that burden, that faith gets freed up and says, I don't care, I am chasing after Jesus now. Though a just man fall, how many times? Seven times, number of completion. Though a just man falls seven times, yet he'll get up. Wait a minute. I, I thought you were a believer in Jesus Christ, and, and here you fell. <laughs> yeah, but Jesus hold my hands, and whoop, I'm back up. <laughs> Wait a minute. You just did it again. And, whoop, I'm back up. Have you ever done something and said, man, I can't believe I keep doing this. I can't believe. I, I kept saying, I'm not going to keep doing this. And we do it seven times. We do it to the number of completion. <laughs> Though a just man falls seven times, yet he'll get up. Why? Because he sure learned how to get back up every time, right? No. But because the Lord had a hold of his hand, it's like, get back up, boy. Girl, just pick it. You know, equal opportunity offender here. Get back up, Tim. But you know what? You know what the problem is? Usually about the third time when you go down, you want to stay down. What is it? Oh, I told everybody, that's it. I'm, you know, it's no more for me. And everyone, everyone cheered me on. I went to praise the Lord. And yet here I am back down on my face again. And faltering faith wants to keep you down. If fear can't give you frantic faith to turn away from your faith, then failures will say, look at your faith doesn't work. Your faith is no good. You claim to have this faith and you've fallen again. And yet, the amazing part when I think of this is the fact that Jesus said to him, though Satan wants to do this, he wants to sift you like wheat, I've prayed for your faith, and when you are restored, what does that imply? That he fell, that he did not, that he failed, that he did exactly what the Lord said he was going to do. When you are restored, in other words, you did it, but yet I'm going to put you back upright. He goes, I got a job for you to do. Encourage the brothers. 
the focus of Jesus' small little talk to Peter was not on his failure. He doesn't say, Peter, Satan wants to sift you like wheat, and you're going to fall, and you're going to fall hard, and you're going to disappoint me so bad. And I'm going to be thinking, how could you do that, Peter? How could you do it after everything I've done for you? And here you denied me, not once, not twice, but three times. The Lord doesn't sit there and say, man, you were a miserable excuse for a Christian, Peter. Aren't you glad he doesn't say that? Woo! Aren't you glad the Holy Spirit doesn't sit there and point at his fault and go, yeah, look at you. Look where your pride got you, Peter. <laughs> look at you. You said you would never do that again. Look at you, Peter. Holy Spirit never does that. Jesus simply said, Satan wants you. He's going to attack your faith. You're going to fall. You're going to fall hard. He says, but I'm going to restore you. And, and this whole conversation is not about your fall. It's about your mission. It's about what I'm going to do with you on the other side of all that. He goes, oh, yeah. Happens every, every believer is going to go through that faulty faith stage. But when you're restored, he says, encourage the brothers. I got a mission for you. Jesus, friends, listen. Jesus doesn't look at your failures. He looks beyond your failure at your faith and what it's going to do with the other side. He already saw Peter's faltering faith and failing faith and, and fragile faith, all of that, you know. He already saw that. He goes, oh yeah, I'm not talking about it. over there, Peter. When you're back on your feet, he goes, yeah, I got a job for you to do. I got a job. Praise God, grace sees us over there. <laughs> grace doesn't see us down there and say, what in the world are you doing? Grace says, no, no, no. Yeah, this happened, yeah. But over there. Because I prayed for you. And by the way, Peter encouraged the brother, John, I believe, without John ever even knowing it, without Peter ever even knowing it. You see, as I wrap things up, I see Peter's faltering faith. But what about John's, let's call it fledgling faith. Fledgling. It's a little bird. They can fly. They're not able really to soar yet. They're not really learned to spread their wings. I look at John and I say, John had a fledgling faith. He, he had faith. And his faith propelled him. I mean, and he, he put forth a lot of energy and a lot of effort, and he outran Peter, and he got to the tomb ahead of Peter. His faith got him to the tomb first. His faith brought him there, but his culture stopped him at the door. He got all the ways. I mean, he, he is outrunning Peter, makes note of it three times, gets always there, and then... Er, stops and doesn't go go in. Instead, the Scripture says, he bent over and he theorioed. He just looked as a spectator from the outside. And while he was looking as a spectator from the outside, guess what happened? Whoa! Who just went past him? Peter! Where did he come from? Peter just comes running in, and, and Peter runs right past everything and just goes right into the tomb. You see, John's faith propelled him to get to the tomb, but he stopped short of entering the tomb. Why? Because he was a very good young Jewish man. And what you and I forget oftentimes is though the Passover is over, because it only lasts about that weekend, it is still in the middle of a feast week. This is still the week of unleavened bread. 
This is the unleavened bread. They would go in their house and, and sweep their house of everything. And they would take a candle and look around, make sure there was not any leaven, any sin, any presence that would defile. They went to great lengths to make sure that their house was a okay. They're right in the middle of this, they're right in the beginning of this week. This is feast week. And as a good Jewish young man, you do not ruin it, ruin it by going in and defiling yourself by having contact with the dead. That's why you, you've heard of whitewashed sepulchers before? Before they would come to the feast, they would go out and whitewash. They would paint any place somebody was buried, they would paint it. That way, when travelers who were coming down, they didn't step on someone's grave, grave site and thereby defile themselves and they couldn't have participated in the feast. They had no contact with the dead at this time. So John's fledgling faith took him out and, and shot him forward. And yet he gets to the tomb and he stops there and only can look in as a spectator. His decision to enter in, or not to enter in, did not mean that he did not have faith. Did, did John have faith? Sure he had faith. But his faith was not ready to take the next step yet. His faith was not ready to do something contrary to the way he was brought up. To do something contrary that says, oh, you don't do that. Oh, you, you know, you're, you're in Judaism and, and, and Judaism recognizes that this is a feast week and you don't do that. His cultural upbringing, his religious upbringing, drew a line in the sand and said, you come, but you stop right there and you don't go any further. Well, guess what? Peter's just as Jewish as John is Jewish. And Peter goes, right past the line. Now, here's what typically happens when you break religious taboos, denominational taboos. Rather than finally allowing your fledgling faith to spread its wing and step across and go inside, we stay on the outside and we criticize the one on the inside. Is that right? What kind of Christian is he? Or John can say, what kind of Jew is he? Look at that. He's not as spiritual as I am. I am not going to defile myself by coming in contact with the dead. I am going to allow my faith to bring me this far, and it's going to stop. And anyone goes past the line that I drew, well, they must be liberal. <laughs> yes, the other side. And by the way, which one had the stronger faith? The one who stopped at the entrance or the one who just went right in? Peter encouraged John to overcome his religious mores and step in. And isn't it funny? It's the one at the door is the one that thinks they're the spiritual one. In some countries and other churches, they'll do that, you know. Oh, look at that church! Raising her hand and all that crazy stuff. <laughs> oh boy, they went off the deep end, right? Anointing with oil. I remember years ago being criticized for anointing someone with oil and praying that God would heal them. And this particular pastor that criticized me saying, what do you think you're doing? Are you going charismatic on this? 
Let's see. Charisma, charis. Charis is Greek for, or for grace. So, yes, I guess I am going grace on us. By the way, it's what it is, right? Don't you love words? What are you going off the deep end? Let me tell you, you know what I'm doing? I'm going Bible on us. If it's in the book, do it. If it's in the book, believe it. If it's in the book, spread your wings and take that step of faith. Don't stop at the door and say, well, I believe Jesus can heal, but you really believe that by his stripes we are healed? Um, yeah. Well, let's see, Psalm 103, you believe our sinners as far as the east is from the west? Yes. But yet a few verses earlier, it says that he has healed us of all our diseases. Oh, we don't believe that verse. You know, we'll, we'll go running into scripture, but we, er, we stop at the verse and we say, hey, yeah, we have, you know, my denominational line is right here. And we don't go that far. The one inside there, he's got to be liberal. And it's so funny that often it's the immature that will judge and criticize the mature. And it was Peter, when you are set upright, encourage brothers. And what Peter did, encouraged John to say, if he could do it, I could do it. Actually, you probably encourage John to say, wow, Peter doesn't care about religious mornings? He doesn't care about what's taboo? Peter just, he just in there looking for the Lord. And Peter, or John did this. He took a step of faith. And by the way, it's just as wrong as the one inside to look back out and say, what, you don't have any faith? Faith got him to where he's at, didn't it? Faith got him there. But all of us, friends, we, we go through life. Let me tell you something. Your faith and my faith is not measured on levels. You follow me? Faith is experienced in cycles. You follow me? Sometimes it's a frantic faith. I, I share with you, my faith was a, a frantic faith when I first heard my daughter had cancer. It was, I mean, I was jolted. By the way, and people prayed here, and Sunday the next day, I'm like, oh man, it's getting better. And guess what? The next day they said, well, it might be stage four if it's in the bone marrow. I'm like, oh, oy vey. Put it in Hebrew. And yet my friend says, no, just keep trusting. Keep trusting. And praise God, they tested the bone marrow, and it's not in the bone marrow. Amen? So praise the Lord. Now... But yet I say, you know what? Tomorrow morning she goes in for surgery and I've, I've got to enter into that and I'll be there tonight and I'll anoint her with oil tonight and I will pray her with oil tonight and I'm going to say to this, honey, don't look at the problem. Look at the provision. All right? Don't look at the snake bite. Look at the serpent. He said, as the serpent was raised up in the will. I'll tell you, Joseph Prince had a, a devo this week and that did great, great devotional point out. That, that though they were bit with the serpent, God said and that serpent would be lifted up in the wilderness, look on the provision and not on the problem. Amen? 
And, and we can get so focused on the problem because it's screaming at us. It's slithering around our feet. It bit us and it hurt and the pain is real. But let me tell you some friends, the, the pain may be real, but his provision is even greater and more real. Amen. And you say, well, you can't believe like I'm going in the tomb, baby. <laughs> I'm stepping across. Don't tell, amen. Don't, don't tell me where you draw the line. <laughs> I'm taking, I'm taking that faith to, to move on from fledgling faith to mount up with wings like eagles. Now, have I, will I get to this next? Oh, glad I'm on this level now. I'll never have to worry about getting that back to that level. No, it's not like this. It's like this. And your faith and my faith will get frantic again sometime. And your faith and my faith will be faltering at some time. And your faith and my faith will have to be, will move from being fledgling sometimes to take a step of faith again. But it's like this, friends. It's a cycle that goes and continues to raise us in the maturing and perfecting of our faith. Amen? So today, you feel like a failure and said, man, I really blew it again. I told everybody I wasn't going to. Let me tell you something. Who cares? What? You can't talk like that, Pastor. I can talk like that. Who cares? What I care about, are you a just man? Have you been saved? You put your faith in the blood of Jesus Christ. And if you have, you'll get back up because he's got to hold your hand. He won't let you stay down. Amen. So don't stay in your face. Get up and say, okay, here we go. Where are you at today? Is it a fledgling faith? It's just like, I can't cross that line. I can't take that step. Maybe it's time to mount up. Mount up, boys. Mount up, girls. On wings like eagles. My faith sometimes... When it said that fledgling, you know, I know it's a fledgling faith. When I'm not mounted up like a wing of an eagle, I'm flying like a pigeon through a storm. I said, that's, that's me. Have you ever thought of that? I mean, it's the turbulence of the air and the thermals that are rising that the eagle learns to, to ride on those thermals. To fly on those the turbulence and expends very little energy, by the way. You know what I'm talking about, right? The pigeon, on the other hand, sitting on the wire and that storm's coming and he's flapping like crazy trying to get through uh, to the next landing and, and he just sees life like this and, and, and he sees life, he's looking like this all around him. Where the angel, or excuse me, the eagle sees the big perspective and says, wow. And I want to tell you something. Sometimes your faith will soar like that eagle. It will. Amen. I hear you. And other times it's going to flap like that pigeon. Yep, he's there too. He said, how in the world am I going to get this? All right. He's going to get you through that. And he says, and when you get to the other side, when you step across that line, he says, mount up and just start soaring. Soaring. Father, as we come before you, I need to close it out this morning, but we we bless you for the grace. We don't deserve this, but yet you do it. It's God that works in us to will and to do of your good pleasure. You're so awesome, Lord. And your word tells us the truths. And 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 sometimes, Lord, we we let our own faltering faith 
keep us from moving forward. Thank you that you don't look at the faltering. You look at the mission on the other side of the fall. And you say, what do you got to do? Here's my mission for you on the other side. Father, I pray for my friends here or listening over the internet right now. I ask, Lord, that you'll just work in their lives and my life. Work in us, Lord. Realize that we are harder on ourselves than you are. We say just give up and stay down. And you say get up and get going. It's okay. It's been washed by the blood of the Lamb. Father, work in the lives of those that measure themselves by themselves. And let them let that go. Let them run towards Jesus. And in so doing, realize that the Lord's going to use them to be the encouragement for those that are still growing in their faith as well. That someone's going to see them and see what they're doing and say, boy, if they can do it, if he can do it, if she can do it, then I can do it. Father, move in us, move on us, grow us. In Jesus' holy, holy name we pray this. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Stand together. Stand together with me. Man, it's a great day to just say, Lord, I've given it to you. You know, maybe something stopped you and and your faith propelled you, but all of a sudden it stopped and you don't know how to get beyond it. My encouragement is just take the next step. It's just a step of faith. The hardest thing for John to do is take that first step across the threshold into that tomb. But once he took that step, the rest followed. By the way, it was only after he did did he then see, and the scripture says he edoed. John then believed. What a great ministry Peter had to him. You come. Let us pray for your healing. Let us pray for your help. Let us pray for your needs. Whatever it is, you come today. If you're not saved, hey, it's a great day to get saved. Amen? It's a great day to get saved. Let us introduce you to Jesus. You come. You come. Yes, that's right. We speak in you today. Give it to Jesus. You come. You need that healing. You come. You come. Time to keep moving forward in faith. You come. Amen. What's troubling you today? Is there a failure hanging around your neck? It's time to let it go today. Is there healing your body needs? Let us pray for you. You come, you come. Sing it like you mean it. Sing it like you mean it. Yes. King Is that crazy or what? Wow. He's calling you today. You come. Time to get up. Keep moving. Amen. Amen. Yes. God's calling you today. Come on. Come on. Yes, 
Thank you, Jesus. Yes. That's right. Amen. It's a great God, isn't he? Wow. That's amazing love. It's crazy love. You know why? Because I knew me before I was saved that I wouldn't have saved me. <laughs> I was like, are you kidding? <laughs> but the Lord knew me before I was saved, and he saved me anyways. He knew me before I was made, and he made me anyways. Wow. He's awesome, man. All right. We sang a song, I am hungry. I'm hungry. I'm hungry. I'm hungry. And maybe you are. That was a previous song. And I know sausage and biscuits are cooking. Go stuff your face. Enjoy each other's company. That, that's a rude way of saying it. Stuff your face. You go enjoy some meal. Eat delicately. Father, bless us. Bless the food to follow. Bless the fellowship. Lord, thank you. Thank you that the people in Scripture are not these super spiritual people that didn't have problems. Thank you that they're real everyday people just like we are who sometimes are frantic, sometimes are faltering, sometimes are fledgling. But Lord, their faith still moved them. And you're moving us in our faith. Bless, bless, Father, as we go your way this week. And we love you, and we bless you, and we thank you. And Jesus, awesome, magnificent, holy, pure, and loving name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.